0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 107 of Midweek Metagame. I'm GG, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Hi. And Gabriel Nassif. Hey, what's up, everyone? Finally got the true cast back on the stream, back on the podcast. I'm excited. I'm also excited to talk about a lot of Modern Today, as well as both me and Pat have played F&M's, So I think we're going to be talking about getting back into paper magic as well and kind of whatever is really on our minds. Um, But I guess before we get into this episode, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Card Market. For those who don't know what that is, it's a marketplace online to buy anything Magic the Gathering related. Singles, accessories, deck boxes, playmats, whatever you can think of, it's on there. You can also sell on there, um, get rid of your collections, whatever. And it's not only Magic the Gathering, check it out for any other card game. They're amazing, cardmarket.com or cardmarket.eu. They sponsor the cast, and they're um, the best. But, you know, if you personally would like to support the podcast, best place to do so is at patreon.com slash midweekmetagame. No pressure to do so, but that's the best place to go. But I'm hyped, you know, to get, get straight into the conversation. Pat, we I feel like I haven't spoken to you on the podcast in a long time. So why don't you start it off and uh, talk about whatever you want to get into.
1: It's been a while since we overlapped, isn't it? It's actually something that came up when i was uh, at a physical magic the gathering store playing physical magic the gathering cards on the weekend i yeah so there was a kind of like local modern tournament capped at 40 players at one of the local stores here in oxford um i turned up i played i went one two i dropped then i cubed it was great i had a really nice time it was really good to be shuffling cards calling the judge um just interacting with human beings again—it was just really nice. Everyone was really welcoming, and I had a really good time. So, oh yeah, yeah. I have no, I have no real kind of like feedback on the event to give other than you know, it was a modern tournament. I played Tide. I think the event was won by uh, Tribal Flame Zoo, who beat me in round two in the winners bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't I give it? Why not I give a three round a three round tournament report? In mm. round one, I played against uh, Red Green Ponza. I had Ragaman. They did <laughs> not kill it. The match was over in 10 minutes. Um, Then in round two, I played against Tribal Zoo. I won a really interesting game one where they had the the 3-1 legend with Hexproof and Multicolor who makes
2: a 4-4 artifact
1: golem, mm -hmm. 4-4 golem whenever you cast a Multicolor spell. And Mm -hmm. so they had that, and then they cast Bloodbreed Elf, made a golem, (laughs) and attacked with both their creatures and an Arcmage Charm, their golem, and ate their 3-1. And so I won that game. And then in game two, they had four Tribal Flames to kill me, oh damn! Yeah, they cascaded into the fourth one with Blood Red Elf when I was stable, and then yeah, they just kind of ran over me in game three. Then I played against a Blue Red, like Blue Blue Moon. It's like it's Blue Red with Merc tide and Snapcaster Mage and Blood Moon in the main, and we just played like a super long three-game set where like it kind of came down to me taking, well, in a kind of like microscopic sense, it came down to me taking a little bit of damage off of um fiery islet that like you know just started adding up and it was in, it was impossible for me to avoid but i actually just died to their hall of the storm giants two games oh. in games two and games three i actually won the game where they blood Moon me it was way worse for them than it was for me and i and honestly in retrospect when i was thinking back thinking back about the match i should have uh, actually considered bringing in my blood moon like at least one blood moon for game game three just because i'd seen the hall and it was so it, it was so brutal for me in game two that I, I think it's like one of the major defining factors in the matchup was just their access to Hall of the Blood, Hall of the Storm Giants, versus my lack of access to it. So yeah, I could probably have thought about bringing that in. Uh, the list I played was like almost you know cookie cutter from Magic Online, but I had been trying a few things. Um, I've been playing with Season Pyromancer in my seventy-five. Uh, I think uh, last time I was on the cast, I'd like talked about this as a kind of idea that I'd like to try, and I have been trying, and it's been working out really well. So I I only played one on. On Saturday at this tournament, but I played up to up to three uh, in leagues on Magic Online. None in the main. I just have not in the sideboard as a kind of like augmentation of the kind of trans the, the control plan versus the the blue decks or the blue control decks. So one of some of the re- rationale, you know, for those of you who weren't there or haven't listened to that episode, was that a lot of the time you want to bring in Blood Moon against like blue-white control or you know four-color control, and you, your, your deck's not very good in like a normal post board configuration at spending red mana. So, season pyromancer gives you some some leverage there, like it lets you spend red mana effectively and cycle cards that are. It also lets you cycle cards that are like locked under chalice. So, like it's good if they have chalice of one in play. It's good if they have rest in peace, and it trades pretty favorably with solitude as well. So, my my plan post board has been kind of cut down on merc Tides, maybe cut three merc Tides and bring in the jaces and some number of Pyromancers to go along with you know usual kind of counter spells and stuff like that. And they should be working pretty effectively. Every time my opponent casts rest in peace, I kind of pump the fist now. And so if you're looking for ways to kind of duke in that matchup where they may not be expecting you to interact on that axis, it's, it's it's been pretty good for me. It also means that you can have more of the kind of one mana soft soft counters, so like flusters or spell pierces. Because in a de- in a long game you can just cycle them away with pyromancer when they become dead. So that's uh that's kind of the only major kind of innovation that I've 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 had over the last couple of weeks of playing. But it was really great to play physical cards again, to be perfectly honest.
0: Mm. Yeah, I actually played an FM with uh Blue Red Merktide as well. Um, I think I guess for those who didn't know, I was in Berlin for the past week to record for Card Market, sponsored the podcast, big up. And um there was um some like FM going on, and luckily I managed to borrow a deck from a listener of the podcast, actually, bilana shout out. Um, and it was the full Merc Tide list. I think he specifically said he copied Doom Switch, which was nice. Um, it was four rounds. I went two and two. I guess I'll do a same tournament report. Uh round one played against Blue Tron. Both uh crushed them, even though both games I thought i was gonna lose because i don't know if they had tron both games but you know blue tron is like hit or miss with 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 them because you know they don't have like payoff when they have tron you know whereas when normal tron has tron they're like karn karn ugin whatever whereas they were just kind of playing their lands not doing anything um round two i played against uh oh i played against um blue black um asmo urza which was kind of interesting. I lost a very close game three. I multiv five and I almost, almost won. It was pretty sick, but um, couldn't beat all the. That's something that I kind of haven't really realized is that Asmo has the sac two food to deal six damage. I mean that, that is like actually the first time I've had a creature die to to, to Asmo because I don't really play creature decks. That was annoying to play around. And then uh, round three played against Burn, got crushed um round four played against burn but this one was actually just a budget build um mono red burn so then i actually managed to win but i think i won because my opponent did not bolt ragavan on turn one they just kind of kept bolting my face so i kept attacking and bolting all the creatures they played so there's a
1: very strong correlation between ragavan staying in play and attacking and yeah. you winning yeah
0: yeah I, so that, do you think that that the Burn match you don't actually think
1: the burn matchup's good i've i kind of feel the other the opposite way
0: no, to me, it, so. To me, what I dislike about the burn matchup is that, first off, their Searing Blazes are insane value, and the Searing Blaze can kill Raghavan and DRC without having to have landfall. As well as, I don't know if it's the hands I keep or whatever, but, I mean, you're only playing, what, 12 threats in Murktide? So... You know they just kill your one drops and then you have to try and get a fast Merktide, and then at this point i mean you know they're like do you see what i'm saying like i feel like yeah. Merktide tide is too slow it's like a three turn clock at best eh, I, sometimes I too. You,
1: i understand what you're saying and like this is definitely a matchup where consider over thought scour hinders you a lot but i found they're just really bad at racing Merktide. tide so if you just interact on turn one and turn two and then mm. resolve Merktide, it's pretty hard to lose i think
2: yeah i agree when i used to play Merc died the burn matchup felt good it was always close obviously because it's burned but in the end you were usually able to kill them before they
0: killed you yeah i mean also like um i made a lot of what is it playing paper magic is really um uh what is it it's like its own game for example like I like to put my cards, like, face down on the table so that, like, they can see how many cards in hand. Because I think, honestly, the most tilting question is when opponents always ask, like, how many cards have you got in your hand? How many... So I always have them, like, face down, like, sing- singled out so they can just count themselves. And, like, all the time I'd have, like, a spell pierce in my hand and they would cast a non-creature and I wouldn't spell pierce it because I'm just like, yep. And then I'd just realize, wait a second, I probably <laughs> could have spell pierced that. Yeah, uh... literally.
1: I, yeah. I, I also I, I do the same thing as you. I, I often like leave my hand kind of like face down, just stand out on, on the table. But I, I try to keep track of what's actually in my hand. <laughs> yeah.
0: So like one, one, of my favorite, when... one of my
1: favorite. Yep. One of my favorite things to do actually is where you've got it face down and you're just kind of like sitting there like slumped in your chair a little bit, just kind of like yeah, like looking a little bit kind of disengaged or whatever. And they cast something and you just flip up the spell Pierce blind. You just go like, yeah, hey, it's this one, and just throw it into the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a spell of arc, I knew that, like, you know, the third face down card was my spellpiece like, I, I had it, I wasn't just disinterested. Yeah. That's one of my favorite
0: things to do in paper Magic, actually. Okay, so yeah. I played that with Merc, sorry, what were you going to say, gap? No, I was going to, no, keep going. Oh, right, I was just going to move on to the next FM unless you want to say something about Merc Tide.
2: I just was wondering what it was like to play live magic and play tournaments and...
0: Okay.
1: I, had, general... I had a really good... I had a really good time. Um, I had an interesting judge call that was uh, that went against me, and then I appealed, and it went for me. Uh, I attacked my opponent with Ragavan, and I took their Bone Crusher Giant, and then I stomped them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, the opponent was like, oh, yeah, that's how it goes to my exile zone, and I get to cast it. I was like, no, it doesn't work like that. And the floor judge was like, it does work like that. You, know, it, you don't get to keep it person who stole it with ragged and i was like it's definitely not the way it goes <laughs> please just give me the head judge and it just felt like old times again where i was just like floor judge you do not know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah there was a
0: head judge yeah. at fnm it wasn't
1: FM. it was like a it was like 15 pounds entry like like winner box basically
0: oh how many people were there 40 players or 30 39 players or something like that oh damn okay yeah. well basically like mine was in germany they're capped at 20 players because of, like... Well, I mean, COVID is really bad in Germany right now. And, like, there's, like... They're meant to be in lockdown, but they're not in lockdown because some some complicated politics stuff. So, yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm I'm surprised. So how many rounds was it with 40 players? It, it was blocks? six
1: rounds, but I played a sweet three. Three of six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was six rounds to cut the top eight. Even if I went, like, I made top eight, I wasn't going to be able to stay because it would have... But this is, okay. This is something that uh, many people may disagree with me on, but if your tournament has a lunch break, I hate it. <laughs> There's nothing worse than a lunch break in a Magic tournament. A lunch break? What's wrong with that? It's so bad. The, the number one thing that sucks about Paper Magic is sitting around and fucking waiting. Guess what a lunch break is? An hour extra of sitting around and fucking waiting.
0: Oh, damn. It just okay. makes the
1: tournament drag so much.
0: It's so bad. And when did they have the lunch break? After round three. So like oh, that's like, why you dropped.
1: From like, oh, yeah, yeah. Am I gonna sit around and side like, for an hour <laughs> and wait for like a bunch of people to eat some like bad hamburgers? It's not happening. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I just I really, really hate lunch breaks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In in Australia, we basically like vetoed the lunch break and any at any kind of area that I ever played. we just don't never did lunch breaks because you know, tournaments just run so much smoother if you just turn up and play. I also just don't want to go and like eat a big meal at a tournament either it's really frustrating
0: yeah something that i was surprised by is this FM i went to is the entry was free and they still had booster prizes
1: that's just getting pretty
2: cool
0: no no the guys just said he loves the well i don't think the no one really explained why i think someone just said like he loves magic or something
2: that's cool
1: yeah yeah I, i mean it's just getting people in your store right and having Mm -hmm. you know if 20 people turn up every week on friday night like they buy probably buy a hell of a lot of like soft drinks or whatever and maybe they buy sleeves and you make much more margin on that than you do on any booster pack
0: yeah
2: yeah magic competitive players are not known for like spending a ton of money necessarily but maybe fnm players are all different or maybe things have changed a bit um but yeah no that's cool
0: yeah i mean this this modern fnm was very casual like um, a lot of people were playing their own brews. i no one was really playing. There was only like a handful of people playing meta decks, and yeah. I think that's why it's free entry because, like, I think they buy singles and and you know they crack packs for fun and stuff. So it it made sense, and it was a really nice community as well. So I rated that on the Sunday of my week, though I played in another event. This wasn't an I. I don't. I guess it was. It's like a just a casual group that meet up together. Um, And it was in, like, this warehouse and in, like, in the attic of this warehouse, like, nicely converted. It wasn't scuffed. It was really nice. Um, And we all did COVID uh, tests before we went and had to show double vax, so we didn't have to wear face masks, which was nice. Um, And uh, we played four rounds of Modern. This time I played four color control and I went three and one, which was pretty fun. I played against... Um, blue red blitz round one you know the old meta morpho storming entity obviously with solitude and omnath that matchup was very easy just prismatic ending and solitude everything and then play omnath and win round two i played against um Guy murktide so the guy was specifically um tuning his deck to beat the meta he said because everyone plays control so he had three teferis in the main of murktide which made sense i guess um and then round 4 sorry round 3 i played against actual blue red murk tide and then round 4 i played against amulet titan um fun fnm great community um the german community was really nice from what i saw i think they said that there's 40 or 50 um serious modern players in berlin and they have like a group chat and everything and they specifically organized that event to be on sunday for me because normally they do it every Monday, and I think they call it like Monday Modern Magic or something, but in terms wow. so... Yeah, that's, yeah, so... That,
2: really that, that podcast clout uh, paying off.
0: Yeah, it was really it definitely... nice. I appreciated it. Yeah did, so, anyone, yeah, did anyone come up to you and be like, oh, I listen to Midweek Meta Metagame? Yes. Um. So one guy at the first FM was just like, oh, you're Gabriel Nassif's friend. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> uh, other people... I think the mono-red – sorry, the blue-red the blue red blitz guy said, um, oh, you're the famous podcast guy. The thing is, though, like, I think they all – everyone knew because all the modern players in the chat, like, that's – they organized – they knew I was in town. Yeah,
1: they explicitly so organized for you, yeah.
0: I think they knew who I was, quote-unquote, because anyone who didn't know, they were just told, oh, that's Gab's friend. So that's why I think a lot of people just like to me, oh, you're Gab's friend because – that's what they were told in the group chat or something. But yeah, yeah, everyone there seemed to like, they shook my hand. So, um, yeah. So anyone I'm,
2: Anyone give you the hello? The
0: hello! Oh memory. no, that's actually... Oh no, I'm worried for the first GP I go to. Everyone's just going to be screaming at me as I walk down, like, whatever, <laughs> or... We, we don't, don't have that, that many shit. listeners, come on. <laughs> Imagine away. if I call the judge and the judge comes over and is like, hello, what's the judge call? <laughs> or like when that. you call a the judge, they're like,
2: come to the table, and they're like, well, well, well. <laughs> well. What do well, we have here? <laughs>
0: Well, well, well. Harry, you're getting DQ'd. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> well, what about you, Pat? Yeah, I had a few people come up to me So I was sitting
1: down, sitting around kind of before someone's going, are you Patrick? I was like, yes. And they're like, oh, I really like your podcast. I was like, thank you. Can I borrow a mystical dispute? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that happened. Um, yeah, a, couple, a few people said like, yeah, I've been listening for a while. Like, you know, I really enjoy it. You know, I said, thank you. Uh, it's kind of it no one really gushed or anything and i appreciated that
0: um, you know what i would have said i would have said if you enjoy it so much you must have given us a five-star review on itunes then right
1: yeah i'm disappointed i didn't milk it for more physical reviews <laughs> but
0: i did try to i tried to get a mystical dispute off the guy he
1: appreciated it i was like hey super fan it was, uh, it? i don't know maybe i was being a jerk but it was pretty funny
0: Damn.
1: but it was it was nice are we also, the tournament organizer had a cube as well. So uh, when you drop from the event, like you just throw your name on the cube list. So I did some, uh, I did a six-player cube draft. I also taught someone that I met there to play heads-up cube, so one v one cube, in a couple of different ways. So we did a, a grid draft and a Winston draft, and then I played Pai with him uh, of um, just with you know packs from made up made up out of the cube as so he'd never done any of that sort of stuff before. So that was, that, that was good fun. I basically just hung out for the afternoon. It's like the first day out of the house I've really had properly in a long time as well. So it was just a really, really good experience for me.
0: Nice. Yeah. I it's, think, um, I guess, I guess I should clarify this. Anyone listening, like, thank you for saying I, you like the podcast as well. Cause I don't really know how to react when people say that. So like, just thank you, you know, I appreciate it. I guess you feel the same part.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just really. It's always really nice. You just don't know how to how to react to it, though. It's not something uh, yeah that happens all the time. I'm sure Gab's more used to it than than we are. Yeah, I
2: mean, you just say thank you. I mean, exactly that. you know, it's nice and not not much else. what else can you say?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you you're not compelled to be these people's like best friend or anything. It's just that you just acknowledge it and move on. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. It's always interesting because like what is it, you know, people who watch or listen a lot, you know, you you know a lot about me, yet I know nothing about you so it's like a weird shock sometimes, like someone will come up That's to me true. and they're like, oh, uh, you know I don't know oh, how was your brother's birthday or something, you know, for yeah, example. Well, people, and it would be like, what the? Oh, yeah, I'd probably talk people to People ask me street. how Teddy was.
1: People yeah. ask me how work's going and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not, like, like, obviously, like, after, this is after they've introduced themselves and said, I, I, yeah. I listen to the podcast. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I understand that you know me in this context. Yeah. It's totally fine to talk about that sort of stuff as well. It's, like, it was really fun and really nice. And yeah, you know, I, I wish I'd done better, but at the same time, I don't think my day was impacted in any in, negatively in any way by not winning. It was great. I had a great time.
0: Oh nice. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of it in terms of playing paper for me. I mean I think I honestly like me playing paper just really makes me feel like uh that I want to go to another one. But I don't really have F and M in my town anymore, sadly. So
1: you should come up to Oxford. The F and M's get pretty big here, apparently.
0: Oh, okay. So like Oh yeah, the... it's only like a six pound train for me, I think.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, like it's it's pretty close, right? But um no, the the store that I go to, they have like FNM and weekly kind of like events going on. The FNM, when I went, I went for like one round about two or three months ago. And there was maybe 20 people playing modern on Friday night. And then there was a, a pot of eight drafting. So that's pretty, pretty sizable. And everyone was playing like real decks as well. So it's the sort of thing where like, if you do want to come up, <laughs> we could look at us on the podcast organizing Harry to come visit, <laughs> visit me at FNM social hmm. calendar organization but um but yeah you should definitely get a chance to do it and i'm excited to do it again as well i'm looking forward to maybe the new year you know finding finding a bit more time to do that as well
0: yeah yeah i'm definitely down to come to a booster draft or something in oxford uh, or if i can borrow a modern deck i feel like i feel like i'm like a, am a beggar now i'm like i'll come but i need a deck i've got nothing like i've got a commander deck that's about it
1: <laughs> Man, i've been living the borrowed deck life for so long He's gotta get used to it. It's too expensive to play magic otherwise.
0: Yeah. Gab, do you own any um magic decks? Like competitive decks right now for modern?
2: I doubt it. I don't haven't bought a card in in two or three years. So unless there's a deck that went on untouched, unchanged. Uh I don't think so. I don't own Archmage Charms or Ren and Six, Ragavan, all that stuff. None no Modern Horizon 2 cards. So no, it's gonna be interesting next time I have to go play a live tournament.
1: You have to think at some point in time it's coming back. I mean, obviously you had Reed on last week and he just they they just did the GP Vegas and that obviously looked like it went like it was a big success. So I imagine that stuff like that is happening again in the future. Yeah. You know, there's gonna be more and more of that sort of stuff ramping up, even with this whole Omicron thing going on. Mm. But um yeah, I expect you to see more and more and more of that going forward. And yeah, you know, it's probably time to buy some paper cards again, Gab. That said, if they're not if they're not tying it to any pro play, I don't know what your incentives are.
2: Yeah, but even before the COVID hit, I didn't play a ton of live Magic. It was mostly the Pro Tours, and as far as GP type events, I would go to maybe one or two a year. And yeah, I
1: remember you went to GP Lyon and whatever, and you top it with like mono blue. Merfolk or whatnot, but you hadn't played many many GPs.
2: Yeah, that was that was Leo. That was my yeah. That was kind of my comeback, my big first big results in in many years. We'll see though. We'll see. Maybe I'll be, maybe I'll start going to more tournaments. Depends. Probably not. Probably kind of the same as before. Go to the big tournaments. Maybe a few few GPC or who knows who knows how it's going to be structured though. But yeah,
1: I really hope they bring back something that resembles even the regional PT structure that they had before covid covid hit i just yeah big life events i think are just mandatory for magic to continue being a thing that well especially i care about and i think on the whole i think that the kind of subculture needs needs these sort of things to exist
2: yeah that's what people say anyways that's but sometimes what people say and feel like it's different from the reality but i don't think that's the case for magic i mean these live events are just so popular so many people show up even before covid the gps kept getting bigger and bigger right every every year every every event so
1: yeah i've been listening to the podcasts with cedric phillips and patrick sullivan so and it's really really good so you should listen to that as well if you're looking for a podcast to listen to but they always they go through like events that are tied to you know, specific magic sets and every time they go through this yeah, you know, they go through that. Like, okay, the year was like two thousand and twelve or whatever. And this GP in Europe had eighteen hundred players, and this GP in North America had eighteen hundred players. And they're like, hint, 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 hint. They're very popular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they are. Vegas was huge, and
2: I'm sure to. I'm curious, to see what the first big European event will look like.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly. Judging by European GP standards, I'm, I'm certain it's going to be massive, unless there's kind of, like, obvious bad things going on. But yeah. I don't think it's going to be scheduled in that kind of environment anyway.
0: Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Hopefully I'm, – I'm wondering what's going to happen in terms of coverage, like if GP coverage came back, um, how the numbers would do. But we'll, we'll have to see, I guess. Did you guys – Um, I was going to say, did you guys play much Magic Online this week? I played just a tiny
2: bit. I only played a league with Amulet, a league of living in for CFB, and two rounds of of blue-white control because I went over to drop. I was busy testing some standard and historic for the Innistrad Championship. Mm. I don't think I'm going to get into it because there's... I mean, honestly, there's not much to say. I barely played any standard kind of went with the team deck. And for Historic, every set I played was kind of a flip, honestly. I felt like every matchup I played was my teammates was 50-50. The whole time of me playing on the ladder was various decks was, things were fine, but not great. So now Historic's been really cool and really diverse. And I'm I'm curious to see what what shakes out of the tournament. Even though it won't be a huge sample size, so un, until we keep getting more historic turns, it'll be hard to know. But I don't really like standard right now. I'm not a big fan. It's the same three or four decks, and the games are kind of okay. But it's it's the same patterns over and over again. Whereas mm. historic's really sweet, and uh, and moderns moderns pretty cool right now too as well. I think I would rank it. Historic is my favorite format, then modern, then far behind standard.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you on standard not being very interesting and the repetitive play pattern thing at the moment. It's just, yeah, I, I was uh, playing a little bit alongside you kind know, of your testing process, I guess, just kind of you know clearing my quests every day with with you know various stock standard decks that I just yeah like it's kind of once you figure out how to like fork a fork a time walk. You kinda of just done it already. And like you you fork the card that draws draws two cards and makes two treasures. Like it's fun, but like this is the same thing every time. And you just gotta engineer the game to a point where you do that thing and then you win. Yeah, I don't I I, I haven't enjoyed it at all. Mm.
2: So why don't we talk about modern? That's okay. all start that since he has been talking so much I barely said
1: a word. I was really,
0: <laughs>
1: really Now limited. you feel
0: my pain. Now you feel yeah. my pain.
1: Yeah, we got to get our money's worth up, gun. Yeah, so
2: the league was living in. Went kind of okay. I lost two close matches in, in tough matchups. And I did okay against non-tough matchups. I think I lost to White Black Hammer Time as well as... Um. Wait. I played two leagues with living in. Anyways, the basically the deck still felt strong, but in the tough matchups when they have hate after sideboard, the the games are tricky. I still struggle to figure out how to sideboard exactly with the deck. It's still a challenge. And um, yeah, I would say the deck is strong, but not in the greatest spot in the meta when people have multiple spell bombs because a lot of the decks are Urza Saga decks, so they're naturally going to have. Couple spell bombs, which if they draw naturally can be tough, and if you don't kill them fast enough, they get to start getting them with Saga. Sometimes bring them back with Lurus, so that's not very enjoyable. But it is it is kind of the fun police if a deck's not prepared or doesn't have great ways to interact with you, it it does feel pretty easy. So that was for living in. I played my first league was Amulet Titan ever, or at least in a very 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 long time. And that was fun. I almost trophied. I was like I made so many mistakes and I was a mistake away from trophying, but it it finally caught up. The deck was felt strong. Yeah. 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 I feel like it's hard and not hard at the same time, because once you, you kind of know what to think about, it's it's maybe gets a little easier, but definitely it's not the greatest deck to play when you're trying to pay attention to chat if you've never played it before and you can't really autopilot
1: getting your triggers around the room with your bounce lens is just a nightmare
2: yeah not only that but just the the lens to get was titans it's not always like super straightforward i
1: have this memory of my back when summer bloom was legal my housemate and i were like playing a league of magic online and he like bought the cards for or titan or summer bloom or whatever and i just remember us just fumbling our way through for like three hours one evening just having no idea what we're doing I like couldn't win a game and if we didn't turn to kill them because we only knew the sequence to like just kill one turn two that was it yeah. couldn't figure out how to win a grindy game at all
2: yeah in hindsight the, the lands to get and what to do can be kind of obvious but there's so many options in the first place that uh it can be a little tricky but it, it was fun i got paired against a lot of Urza, Saga, Luris decks, I think. And I'm assuming these are good matchups. They don't kill you super fast. They have a little disruption, but not quite enough. I ended up losing to Rhinos. Kind of classic Rhinos match. The whole match felt really close. Every game felt really close. I feel that's kind of the nature of the Rhino deck, though. I've always felt like that deck's just very 50-50 against the field. Uh, I've never been super impressed by it, but also always feel like it's solid when I get paired against it. I always feel like I can lose or when I win, that maybe one extra interaction card, it it could have gone their way. Yeah, I feel the same way
1: about that deck as well. I just, I always play interesting matches against it, but I never like, it's super impressed with it, but it definitely feels like, it never does nothing. It always like puts some pressure on you, but yeah. Sometimes they yeah. just have like one more one more card than you have than you have answers or whatever and they they get one over you. It should be pretty good against Titan though. I, I would imagine they have access to all the blue interaction, and then they also just have like quick clock as well.
2: Yeah, they also have Blood Moon. I think the list still plays subtlety. I believe that card's a little scary. My my opponent never casted in this specific match, but it felt like that card would have been really good for them. And uh can, yeah, can my, I
1: ask can I ask what's what version of Titan you're playing? Were you playing the version with Khan or were you playing the version with this new seven-drop creature?
2: No, I played the version that won the Saturday modern challenge, and it had Karn in it. It was big big JC00 that won the the challenge. Super straightforward list. And um Karn was Pretty good. I've always been more scared of the current version as a control player because they get that cheap threat that solo wins them the game, but I'm assuming it's extremely good against control because control doesn't have ways to kill it right away usually. So basically, if you resolve it and untap with it, you are
1: just a massive favorite. It certainly felt more scary before Unholy Heat was printed, at least.
2: Yeah, I guess I'm talking from blue-white control perspective. Yeah, yeah, certainly.
1: Yeah, no, that card's always been...
2: Yeah, no the deck was and good. Gra- the, the Grazer was an MVP against all the Ragavans. Uh, just Grazer was really sweet in general and it was fun. I think I'm going to play uh, the deck at least for another league or two. Um maybe try and focus a bit more and play play a little better. Probably will go worse, but um, no it was cool. I had Francisco in chat helped me a bit. Uh, other a few other viewers who sound like they were knowledgeable about the deck to help me out. So it was, it was fun. You always learn so much from just a league or two Was Twitch chat helping you. Because usually, especially when you play a deck like Titan, you know, when I play, I pick up a deck like Titan, you're going to have a lot of time. The, the, the players who play the deck a lot who are really proficient with the deck tune in the stream. You know, it happens more often than not. So in this case, it was, you know, Francisco showing up and helping me a bit. But it's happened in the past with other decks. You, know, you play their pet deck and the, it's like cool for them that I'm streaming it and they're usually happy to help. And that's always, you, you learn so much more, so much faster. So that was, that was kind of nice. And then I played two rounds with blue-white control. I went O2 drop. I got paired against a cool deck that I don't think I had ever played against before. It was Calibrated Blast. So basically, it's a red into instant um, spell, red spell was flashback to Red and Free, and you reveal the top card of your deck. It's kind of like Erratic Explosion from Invasion, I guess, or Plane Shift, or that, that block. And you're uh, trying to- erratic,
1: erratic Explosions from Onslaught.
2: All right, maybe I'm thinking of another card.
1: Anyways, no, no, you, bas- you, you, you basically- think the, You think of the right it reveals Draco, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You reveal cards from the top of your deck, so you're trying to reveal, you've got 15 casting cost cards, I guess, so you're trying to reveal that, so you deal 15 damage. And then the other points of damage, you either hope your opens steals them to themselves with Shocklands and Fetchlands. You have the version I played against had the Scorched Desert, the Pingland, as well as Gramnap Runes and Mishra's Factory to deal the last few points of damage. Also, you can just resolve it twice to, to kill them. And yeah, that matchup was surprisingly tough. I got I got yeah. two O'd. I didn't have the best draws. I think I mulliganed each game and... In game two, I didn't draw my Rest in Peace, which uh, would have essentially countered, I think they drew free ex, free uh, free blasts, so I would have, you know, I had to to counter them a bunch, and then the flashbacks, and I just couldn't do it.
1: Rest in Peace would the, have been good. i played against that deck, too. It's pretty scary. The first time you play against, you just have no idea what's going on. You think there might be, like, mono-red that's, like, just kept some burn spell hand or something, so you're, like... I would play against them and I just wouldn't run my, I would like save to dash my Ragavan or something like that, and eventually they would just be like, take 15, wrap up yeah. you. Like, oh, I'm dead.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I had no idea in the first two turns. I think the lead was Gemstone Cavern in, in game one, and I assume it was maybe Rhinos. So, you yeah, know, that was cool. And the, yeah, the deck kind of looked, looked good, honestly.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's hard to interact with. I get the flashback on the on the calibrated blast means that they kind of grind relatively well for a glass cannon style deck at the very least. Yeah, and then all this the little bits add up. I think I played when I played against them, they had some kind of transformation post board, so they had like seasoned pyromancers after sideboard or something like that, and I just got absolutely browned by them.
2: Okay, yeah, uh, I'm not sure what my opening had. I looked up a stock list. It was. Sideboard was consigned to oblivion. They had the land in the sideboard. It's pretty cool. It's an anti discard land. When they discard, make you discard a card, you can put it back on top of your library instead. And I actually didn't realize in the game I. Uh... Oh, I got paired against that deck twice. I got paired against it was living in afterward. I was like, how did I make them discard? It was blue-eyed control. Yes, yeah, so I lost with it to blue-eyed control. One card that would have been huge in the matchup that I never drew was to fairy time raveler because the blast is an instant and forcing them to play on their turn would have made my life way way easier since obviously we're able to sequence you know make the counter end of my turn then on their turn meaning i never had a window to start drawing cards with charm or do anything of the like so the the fairy time raveler is probably a card you're really looking for in this matchup obviously try and stay above Fifteen from your own lands. Oh yeah, I think that's what happened in one of the games. In the first game, I had no idea what I was up against, and I just bolted myself. Was breeding pool, fetching breeding pool on turn two, because I figured the damage would be irrelevant. I could have been more wrong. So,
1: yeah, it couldn't, it couldn't have been more relevant. That,
2: that <laughs> was, right. Yeah, that was unfortunate. It was living and it was close. I think I maybe lost the game, but uh you know, I figured it would be a good matchup because you have grief and especially force, four force of negation, which is huge against blast and stats flashback and. Even then it felt it felt really close and tough. So that was kind of cool to play against that deck. And actually ended up Rated Waffle and I told him what happened. And it sounds like he had played the matchup and he said the same thing. He said, yeah, that matchup's not not easy. Um, my other loss was Blue-White Merfolk, just good Merfolk draws. They draw multiples, adds and yeah, just, they kind of got me. So yeah, that was that was my week of playing Modern, but I, I think you guys played a lot.
1: Yeah, I, I just played a lot of a lot of a uh, blue-red Moktai with season fireman, so, Uh I tried the the Jeskai version that Harry said he played against, and when I actually when I went to this tournament on Saturday, probably about a third of the Moktai players in the room. There were probably about five or six Moktai decks in the room, but two or three of them had um had the white splash as well. Some people just put splashing for prismatic endings. Some people were splashing for Tefaries as well. Um, wear Tears in the sideboard gives you a little bit of extra legs against a deck like Hammer Time. I think that I think that the white splash gives you a lot of legs in particularly the hammer time matchup, which is just otherwise is so awful for blue red.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I didn't even know that Jeskai Merktide was really a thing to be honest. So I'm, it's kind of cool that you had um, some at your LGS. But for me, I only played some blue white control, some four color control, and some Merktide. And honestly, out of the three, I'm still really high on four color control. But I think honestly, it's kind of just my comfort place, really. Because if you think about the history of control decks that I've played, what are the best control decks that I've performed with? Stoneblade, Uro control, and four color control, all kind of very tap out esque versions of, of uh, the control archetypes. So,
1: they're, they're, they're all decks that have been really good in modern at various different points in time over the last few yeah. years. Too.
0: True, that is true. But I, I personally am really backing 4-Color um, right now. I don't know, I just really like I guess the play patterns. I really like the fact that you're playing Ren and 6 like just all the good cards, but I think Ren and 6 is just so, so so powerful right now. Like uh, in the I was playing as Merc as 4-Color Control, and I was on 8-Life and they had a 7-7 Merc Tide and they had to attack my Ren and 6 because it was about to ultimate. So it's like Um, yeah, I think that I, I still really back the deck and I really liked it. Did you see any four color control in person at your paper event?
1: Yeah, there was a few people playing it. Um, someone who I'd met, met previously there was playing it and they also went one, two drop, um and i did it, think did, did, I did they mean, also
2: have their rolex wisdom was there was
1: yeah. there <laughs> Actually, deck?
2: And so is, roll, uh, rolled up rolled in and was their ferrari yeah the i don't know if this
1: deck. i don't know if this person listens to the podcast or not they haven't they haven't revealed this to me yet but they basically when they arrived they'd lend me they'd offered to lend me some cards so they uh-huh. let me a couple of season pyromancer and stuff like that and the jace oh, that i was missing but they also just turned up and just gave out like cards to like so many different people. So I think they were bankrolling everyone in that tournament. So yes, yeah, oh, it, it makes sense that they would also be playing money money pile as well.
0: <laughs> to be fair, I have to say that my Merc Tide list was basically full foil. And most of the foils were like, you know, like the full border ones and like the counter spells. It were they were four foil japanese alternate art counterspells. i've literally never seen them before Ooh, like very nice yeah I, yeah i had the
1: worst the worst counter experience at this tournament so i i bought four foreign blackwater counterspells counter off, off of magic card market at the sponsor of this <laughs> podcast a while ago but I only had three in my deck box that I took to this tournament and I really wanted to play the fourth. So I was scrambling around trying to get a fourth and the only one I could find was a very basic Modern Horizons 2-1. And so every time I drew it, I was just kind of like, <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> why did I spend like 15 euro on these very nice ones that are sitting at home? I <laughs> just have to draw this piece of shit count spell. Yeah. So it does the same thing anyway. Yeah, but the cards that got lent- loaned to me as well were the only foils in my deck as well. It's this this strange feeling where you kind of like foil like why, why do i have a foil hmm.
0: yeah no i'm i you know that's something someone asked me actually at the event they were like do you not trade i was like no Absolutely chance not. no chance i i don't have time for that but on that like oh,
1: can i can i so we used to I, I i feel the exact same way about like not trading but my friends and i used to play this game where you would it was essentially kind of like randomized trading game. So what you do is you like basically you get a card that's worth $2, $4, $6, $8 and $10. And you put them face down in a row in front of you and you're and someone else does the same. And then you just roll a dice and like one through five, like you just put that back up, a, a random face down card in of like random value, essentially. And the other person does the same. And then you high roll to see who takes the two cards in the middle. And on a six, you put all your cards in.
2: Well, we're just promoting gambling on the podcast now. <laughs>
1: it's, it's, officially, it's officially not gambling. It's it's just like, it's just average average value trading. You're just like, yeah, the expected, the ex, the expected value of any card going in one direction or another is, is like flat. But we used to do this between two of us. And like, I had like eight engineered explosives at one point in time or whatever, mm. that I'd like acquired through this thing. So yeah, trading sucks. It's a huge waste of time. This was a much better system I found.
0: Yeah, the one thing I always hated about trading is it'd be like, You'd be like, okay, I've got £40 worth of cards trading for your £42 worth of cards. You're like, okay, then I should get a £2 card then. You know, like, it's always just like, has to be exactly like it's just so long it's such a long exchange and then they're like oh well you don't have a two pound card that i like so i'm not gonna do the trade then stuff like that like oh, no. I've, I've literally had I people back out story. of
1: back out of trades in my life because they're like oh this is like you know my my app or whatever they have says so this is 50 50 cents in your favor i was like come on
2: yeah like, i hate i don't that. even what remember What's going on didn't we just used to like top it off with whatever 50 cent or a euro out of your pocket
1: oh p- people are just I don't know some people are just pass it in so long. I don't know. I just, I hate it so much. It's so much. It's, it's just the biggest negative time sink.
0: Yeah. I, I, I hate it a lot. Uh, that's why I don't trade. And yeah. I don't, I can't even bother to organize a trade binder as well as you just got to borrow or you got to buy. That's the only way to roll. Yeah. I, I was saying, like, I'd rather take the 30% loss at a vendor or spend time selling them on Card Market, the sponsor of the podcast, in order to get money to buy other cards. So. Yeah. No, I'm just, it's, really yeah, you were talking about
2: four-color control. I really like that deck, but my problem was that the Ragdos matchups were just bad. I couldn't beat Ragdos Lurus. I couldn't beat Grixis Shadow Lurus. I was losing to Jump Sagavan, so... Oh, wow. These D- deck D- 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 got pretty popular. I don't know if you've played these matchups with four-color control, if you feel differently, or if it's just matchups you haven't played.
0: um, I, r- I actually think they're... They're actually I, I uh I I think they're fine. I mean, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about Death Shadow. Maybe you didn't have four solitudes at the time, but I feel like Death Shadow is a really annoying one. I think the only matchup I would say yes, I, I'm not favored is like a Um discard deck playing a load of Turax and a load of Croxes. I think it's generally speaking, how many Croxes are they playing? It's it, it it makes it difficult because you get into these spots where it's like, okay, I need not only a counter for the Croxa or removal spell, as well as a counter or removal spell for the Luris. And it's in the late game. So obviously you've used removal spells on ragavans and whatnot earlier on. So I think generally that's how I would judge the matchup. But um I don't know. I I, I feel like I'm I'm either like 50-50 with them or uh, you know, slightly beating them more than I've lost to them. But, you know, I can definitely see spots losing to them, and also I think that there's a lot of um kind of game against them with what you have i think something that i've realized now over the past week and a bit of playing with four color against these creature decks like i'm really happy to put kahira into my hand turn three because um uh solitude solitude pitching kahira is like really really good saving like the teferi time raveler or the extra omnath in your hand and i i've been doing that way more so like for example Like, against the mono-red... Sorry, against the blue-red Blitz player, I did that. Both games, like... I've just been aggressively putting Coherent into my head, and that's really improved a lot of my matchups. Or they've played out a lot more differently in in my favor, I feel. So, I don't know.
2: Yeah, maybe it's a small sample. I think I'm literally 0-6 against these decks. Oh, damn. They can... cheese you in the early game was Ragavan, and in the mid-to-late game, it's just so hard to turn the corner because... They have Unholy Heat to deal with all your frets. They have their own card advantage, you have Urza Saga. The Grixis Shadow deck has cheap counters for Omnef, so you don't even get the, the cantrip a lot of the time, which you will you will at least get that against uh, Ragdos. You talked about Crocside, that card is a problem. Spreading Seas can help delay that a bit after Sideboard, but that card is scary. So yeah, something about these decks, in not always the exact same way, but basically anything that's red, black, X and has access to Lorus has been a problem for me. Yeah. You know, I play four Solitude, that four Prismatic Ending, I have all the removal, but you don't have that much late game. I trim down on five mana Teferi and Chase, maybe going back to two copies of each would help there. But even then, if you're a bit slower and your curve is higher and when you do play these, Planeswalker, it's maybe harder to protect them because you didn't have the, the cheaper cards and yeah, could be could be variants, but it, it I think these matchups have been tough because yeah, they have can be doing the early game and it's not trivial to turn the corner. Even in games where I felt like I should have won you know, the game was going really long and you think it was four iterations, four on math the fairy Jace, four solitudes, the fairy Tom Raveler to get value out of them. It was just not enough. They had kind of their own ways of doing that, whether it's slurus, Ren, or just Saga, crocsaw uh, Death Shadow was all different. Death Shadow it felt like they just had drawn in the lock and disputes and discards. And if you don't deal with their threats right away, you just die in two turns. That matchup felt really tough.
1: That's kind of the way these um yeah you know, the, the these two essentially an aggressive grindy deck. Aggressive deck that can grind versus just a grindy deck play out a lot of the time. It's I think, like, heuristically, I would say that, yeah, Death Shadow is going to be really tough for, for Four-Color Omnath because they both can pick apart your kind of, like, hand and make your draw clunky with their discard spells, but they also just back it up with counter spells to trade, you know, at a mana advantage. But then, like, on paper, I would think that, like, the Red-Black Rock deck should be relatively good for you because, like, you, you're both just top deck, and, you know, in theory, your deck has more powerful cards in it, so you should top deck more live more often. But then, like, you know, you think of cards like Turak and you know, really make that make it quite hard. they can actually get card advantage against you. And then you're in this really tough spot post board where you really want to transition into a deck that just has like no removal and all just haymakers. Right. So you don't get ripped apart by discard, but you still have to be respectful of Ragavan. And so you wind up keeping in like prismatic endings and solitudes or whatnot and you just you you then again you make yourself much more vulnerable to their discard spells like making your draw like not line up well with theirs so yeah i'm not surprised and like that deck doesn't have a great answer to the lurus either it just kind of has to suffer a lurus turn which is pretty bad
2: yeah a lot of people ask me about four color yurion as opposed to the 60 card version i actually haven't played with the four color yurion version so it's hard for me to say I'm assuming that deck's more powerful was witness and ephemerate and the loops but a little less consistent and maybe a little slower to get out of the gates so i could see that deck being better in these grindy matchups but maybe worse in, i don't know just more i know that in the mirror when i played canister it was obviously small sample but maybe i was slightly favored because i had more of the good gar- good cards condensed in, in 60 cards. I had four red and six in my 60 card deck. I had four to Fairytime uh, etc. etc. So maybe I had the slight edge there. And I think in the games, it felt like maybe he got stuck was some clunky cards in his hand that he didn't have time to use. But it's hard for me to to see. I don't know if you guys played the the four color Yorion version at all. If you have
1: any insights, no. But I actually played a lot with the Death Shadow side. Uh, this this five past four dinosaur. I played a bit of blue Re- uh, the Rakdos Shadow Deck as well. The Cory Baumaster played at the Invitational. I played something like that. Um, I got a, I got a question for you, Cap. What do you think about Solitude in in that in that matchup? Do you think it's actually good, or is it the sort of thing where like it's actually just a five mana spell and it's kind of clunky? I
2: think it's probably average. Not great. Not your worst card. Not
1: your best cards. I'm. I'm. I, I started to think that like it's not actually the greatest card of, of all time. I. like at least coming from the Merc Tide side and you know a little bit to the to the Death Shadow side. It feels like it's really easy to trade advantageously with it. Like it's either a five mana spell which is too clunky, or it's a, you get two for one and yeah. Well, like, I think that, I think Dex exploit exploit Solitude pretty well at the moment if they're built correctly.
2: I think I agree that against something like Merc Tide or Grixis Shadow, it's nothing special because it's tough to afford the 2-4-1 early, early on, but sometimes you have to, and later in the game it's it's fine, but not great. I think it's really strong in something like Burn and something maybe like Blue-Eyed Control. You need it to kill the shark tokens. It's, I think it's a necessity, but it's not insanely powerful compared to what other people are doing i guess
0: well i think you need it because like for example prismatic ending not hitting murk is huge for you as well as like um you know you don't always have the teferi time raveler to bounce the murk or whatever so i yeah. i think it's really really
2: yeah it's i think it's good it's a necessity but it's not like oh wow we get to play four solitudes and
0: oh true yeah
2: they don't have
1: yeah. and I was just wondering, I guess like the the next question I would ask on that along that line line of reasoning is do you think that Fury is a card that you should be put what what sort of numbers of Fury are you playing? Because that's the sort of card where you don't get dis, there's no there's less disadvantage disadvantageous trades for you in the early game with a card like Fury. Do you how many copies of that do you play at the moment in, in your four color deck?
2: I think at most I had one in the main and one in the sideboards. Is it, just a lack
1: of, is it just a lack of
2: red cards? That That's part of it. You have way fewer red cards. The instant speed is also huge against something like Burn or Dash Ragavan. But the, the card is nice. I was bringing the second copies in a lot of matchups. Something like Blue-White Control, I was bringing the second copy. It's a nice card against Blood Moon. It's not going to solo win you the game if they resolve a Blood Moon, but it can buy you that extra time. Every bit adds up. And you do see Fury show up more and more in, in all kinds of decks. There was a, a player playing Merc who had two Furies in the sideboard, I believe, this weekend that made Top 8 in oh, one really? of the
1: challenges. Nice. It's a card I've been looking at or thinking about trying, but never really gotten around to do it yet.
2: You've, you've got that new new red deck, uh, just kind of mono-red aggro that plays four Furies. Maybe it's the Obash version think rhinos also plays a bunch of fury and that was not the case at first i could be wrong but uh fury kind of got me good yeah no is kind of everywhere it's 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 a really good card but in that specifically in that deck yeah you like a bit of the red cards i was even trying to to fit in some furies in my living end deck but you have even less red cards there you just have the outbursts and you know it was you got in, you can play Inga 2 after sideboard. You can play Prismari Command. You basically have to play the 4-4 the four, four red-black cycling creatures if you want to be able well, to. I was going
1: to was gonna say, you're kind of committed to being a non-Force of Negation living-end deck if you want to try and play a card like Fury, I think.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure if you can do both. I, I forget if that that version that the one player has had a lot of success was the one who plays... They play the 11 event cycling green creature. They play... Uh, a bunch of red cards. I think they have fury. I think they have. They're heavy on bone crusher giants after sideboard, and that version's kind of cool against against the hate. When you just get to board in a bunch of bone crushers, and you have furies, and you can actually cast a lot of your cards. And if you're open and just draws too many chalices and rest in peace and spellbomb, they can actually backfire in some way.
1: Yeah, so, I, I love that that, that transformational package of like bone crushers and endurances. Just playing a kind of mopey fair creature game. yeah far less mopey than the usual creatures that you would see in a deck like a living end
2: yeah force of negation feels so strong but i might i might experiment with different versions of living end that that could be that could be cool because the problem with the the kind of stock version is that sure you can have bone crush in your sideboard but you don't have quite enough cards to really have that transformational sideboard sometimes it breaks down that way where You'll draw a bone crusher and then you'll get to hardcast a subtlety and their draw is a bit mopey and you cheese them that way, but it's tough. Whereas the maybe if you, you build your deck, you know, with that plan more specifically in mind, you can get to something a little more coherent after sideboards.
0: Yeah, I mean mentioning Fury, I think I only play two in the sideboard of four color control. Um, and every time I've played it is when my opponent has a Blood Moon in play and I just hard cast it <laughs> um, with yeah. all my mountains. So I don't really have an opinion on Fury. The only thing I can definitely agree on is the red cards as well as um, the red cards in my deck for color control are just the best cards, you know, like um, Ren, Expressive Iteration. Like they're all low to the ground cards that I can normally cast whereas Solitude, I'm normally pitching like to Fairy Hero of Dominaria you know, um, uh, like a card that's, like, meant for the later game, and I could just find something else to do then, whereas I feel like Fury forces me to get rid of kind of my early game, like, not pressure, but, like, yeah. st- stuff I used to build up my hand and, and and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's just that and that you have less choice. You know, you're not going to have, like, a couple of the different Teferis, maybe a second Omniaf if you're playing four. It is nice that it, you get to pitch the extra Ren and Six, because... The second running 60 draw is usually really, really bad, but that doesn't happen that often, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Should we talk a bit about the modern challenges maybe? Sure. Gotta, gotta yep. start by shouting out SoulStrong, who top four both challenge was Grexit's uh, Shadow, which is kind of my sleeper pick for potential best deck in the format. I've just been really impressed playing against it. And I feel like it's a deck that's not played a lot, but that has had really good results. Who knows, though? That's just all oh, guesswork.
1: I'm with you. I, I had a similar thought over the last fortnight. Just is this is this a deck that I really should have been playing for a long time? Does it just do the Merktide thing but better?
2: Yeah, I actually wanted to play it yesterday, but you had the the Rag events on your account. I'm kind of glad that I got I got myself some Urza Saga and play the titan deck but it's definitely a, a deck i want i want to try or i think please one of us should try
1: yeah i, I think i've played two leagues with it now Oh, yeah, you actually I... played
2: with it yeah, yeah okay
1: and has it felt super super powerful And went four one twice i don't know if it feels super powerful it just feels like you have good red one drops and discard spells and then counter spell to back it up it's it doesn't feel too dissimilar to murktide except that you have access to lurus which i think goes a long way so maybe it's just straight up better than that but better than lurus yeah i don't know it's it feels it certainly feels less like you kind of go like the old version where you would like have street wraith and of battle Rage, and you have to manage your life title super carefully this one it's more kind of like yeah your, your shadow comes down as like a 4-4 so it doesn't get bolted or and honestly, the format's like at the sort of sort of point where it doesn't really matter what size your shadow is once it comes into play, because Unholy, he kills it almost every time. Um, and then the other answer that people commonly play a solitude and prismatic ending, so it doesn't really matter. So you just put your shadow into play at any point in time, and then you try and set up like a turn where you just dress down to kill them, like end of turn dress down to untap and kill them with shadow.
2: Yeah, Dresdown looks super sweet.
1: That yeah, card's. It's, it's a card that I hadn't played with at all up until I played the Shadow deck. And then I tried it actually in the sideboard of my Merk deck, which other people have been doing a lot of. And I've been pretty impressed with it in the Shadow deck. I'm less impressed with it in the Murktie deck, though.
2: Yeah, when I played it in Merktide, it was always fine, but it still felt hard to justify sideward slots for it. It didn't feel it's like exactly it how would, I feel as well. anything unique, whatever in that whereas in that Grixis
1: Shadow deck, it's so good. It
2: combos with Shadow. It combos was Lurus, uh, and obviously combos has combos with
1: Croxer too. It has a nice combo with Croxer. You, oh, you, you can just you can just frontside cast Croxer. Oh,
2: uh, so you can end of turn, turn two, dres down on tap, Croxer, and you get to just, keep it in play.
1: Yeah, they don't discard a card, but You just play a six six for two.
2: Damn. Yeah. Now so many so many applications in that deck, and obviously hosing your your opponent. You know, Titans back yeah. up on the rise. So that's that's just huge. Yeah, great against
1: Titan, great against Stoneforge Mystic. Uh yeah, obviously really good against Urza Saga tokens. It's a sort yeah. of card where like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of little corner case applications that start to add up. Yeah. And a deck like of Shadow gets to play it in the main because it has some kind of proactive reason to have it. Whereas I just felt like, yeah, it's good in it's good in Merktide in the spots that it's good, but they don't come up often enough, even within the matchups where they do come up to really justify. It. I think I'd rather something more generic.
2: Yeah. You can basically lug them out, right? With if I mean, it's a bit slow to get going, but if you have Lurus in play, you just play that in your end step every turn, and it stays in play in their turn, and that means no more no more Titan, no more nothing, no more this Saga token. Exactly. So, I don't know how often it comes up in practice, but it's really, really cool card, cool deck, and uh, I've been impressed.
1: Yeah, so this this of uh, shadow deck it did pretty well over the weekend. I think I think there's more than just Soulstrong. so it's in third place and fourth place with um Potterosimo, yeah, playing yeah uh, essentially the same list again. This, here they have three more three dress downs, two Croxes, whereas Soulstrong has two dress down, one and one Snapcaster Mage, and there's even in it's even in fifth place as well. So there's like there's three copies in this top eight of this of the saturday challenge i think it is and so yeah obviously a pretty impressive showing for the deck and it's really been put on the map after the, the star city games invitational i think the other, yeah. the other week where a couple couple of people made top eight blank copies of it and now people are taking it seriously
2: yeah no um yeah yeah for sure there was also kind of the comeback of Hammer Time, I feel like the past few weeks, it was maybe one copy of Hammer Time in top eights, not not a ton, and it was all over the place this weekend in top eights. There was also Dredge that's back, so that brought Dredge back, I guess, and people have been playing the deck and doing what well was it, as well as a copy of Humans, Manguchi was happy, and a copy of Lantern in the top eight. so a little different... Landscape, I guess, for this weekend, a little less like like no blue-eyed control, less no burn, but some decks we hadn't seen in a while make a comeback. So yeah, moderns just I guess in a really good place right now. It just it still feels like maybe hammer time for people who take time to master the deck might be kind of the fun police and one of one of the best decks in the format, but there there's room to. There's room to, to clear out our our decks, I guess. I
1: love I love seeing humans here as well in this top eight. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen a human's deck do well.
2: Yeah, you got a copy of Grist. Can you put Grist into play with Ether Vial?
1: It's a creature anywhere but in play. So yeah.
2: Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. You can also, no, how does it work with recruiters? Because it doesn't have power or. Oh, it is a 1-1. Okay, so you can recruit for it, too.
1: It's wow, I didn't even see that synergy. That's great.
2: As long as Gris, to hunt is a, it's a 1-1 insect, yeah. So you can recruit for it. You can put it into play with Ether Vial. When it comes into play, as it enters, it probably doesn't pump your creatures, all right? Because, no. Is it considered? Yeah, it probably. No, it's considered.
1: it's not a creature anytime it's yeah. on the battlefield at all.
2: But yeah, that was, that was that was interesting. A bit kind of a slightly more expensive build was free recruiters and Free Freemantle's rider. Um,
1: is it trimmed that two
2: Adelines too?
1: But yeah. yeah, Adelines a card that we kind of. I think I asked you about it when it was spoiled on um when that when that set came out and. Yeah, you, know, you didn't you didn't have a particularly high opinion of it, but it's 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 certainly it's found at home in in standard certainly, but also kind of historic and you know, getting some play here as well in in modern the four toughness is pretty relevant, I think.
0: I've got an interesting judge question for you guys involving grist. Okay. If you cavern of souls name insect and you cast grist with it, is it uncounterable? I would say yes. Um, I would guess yes, no. though. But... But it's the planeswalker on the stack, right? So it's not a one-one insect on the stack anymore.
1: As long as Gris the Hunger Diet isn't on the battlefield, it's a one-one insect creature in addition to its other types. And Cavern of Souls says, I want mana, spend this mana, so I mean you can't, you can't
2: you call Darwin's Veto Gris, right? So it's a creature on the stack.
1: Yeah. You can't veto. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, oh, I think it's it it, I think it's, on it's on the stack as
0: well oh I yeah if it's
1: an insect on the stack yeah 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 all right so trivial rtfc judge question okay
0: okay okay my bad
1: it's okay it's definitely a sort of card where like every time my opponent like gets it in a weird way i'm like oh yeah <laughs> like they cast quarter calling for three i'm like this couldn't possibly be anything that saves and i'm like grist oh that's that's nasty or they're like you know aether violet or collect the company into it or whatnot it's always Oh, it's kind of a bit of a head scratcher. Like, how
0: did that even happen again? Yeah, I I actually played against a... I feel like people are trying to um, move away from the traditional humans, and they're starting to play way more unique cards. Like, I played against um, a humans deck splashing for Ragavan into Fairy Time Raveler. And I thought it was kind of like just a crappy brew, but then... The person told me that it was from, like, one of the challenges or something, and I guess we might have missed it one week. It's the sort of thing
1: where, like, as they print more and more humans, you can move away from being five color, and so you can start playing a normal mana base again, and then you can start playing Ragaban if you really want to.
2: Yeah, and you get yeah. to play actual spells, maybe non creature spells as well.
1: What a novelty. <laughs> no, I, I think like there's, a... A,
2: there's a lot yeah. to explore. and I mean, you probably still want to be leaning on these really powerful cars like Chandler, Ragavan, et cetera. But there's a lot of room for innovation. Spike kind of shows it over and over again. If you're willing to, to take the time and think of it outside of the box and not just copy lists, which it's not easy, especially for people who don't have a ton of time. Even Absolutely. I feel like I have a little time and it's it's so so overwhelming. I especially felt that way for historic Recently, but, um...
1: One one thing I will say is that's curious about this this eighth place humans list as well is that it doesn't actually have any copies of Esper Sentinel, which I felt like was one of the biggest gains for humans recently. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, the One Man of Thalia. It's uh, it's It's basically the most brutal card of all time in the Merc type versus Hammer matchup. And I'm surprised to not see any copies of it here in in Treeborn's Treeborn's list.
2: Yeah, might just be an oversight.
1: It could possibly be. It's also the sort of thing where, like, yeah, it's just a 1-1, so maybe it's not really, like, on, you know, on your pl- in your plan. But at the same time, I think that there's enough kind of, like, Moby small creatures that get big in that deck that you should probably justify having some copies. It's just such an obscene card. Every yeah. time the Hammer Time opens on, I'm like, well, I can't possibly win. Yeah. Like, you just can't do anything.
2: Sentinel, yeah. I was playing a bit of Blue-White Auras in Historic, and having the four extra Sentinels that, like, extra extra enchantress in some ways because you can just slap enchantments on it and then you have to pay more and if you protect it on their first removal spell it feels super brutal even if you go you know sentinel and put an aura on it and they kill it they still you know you're still even on cards because they can't pay the the two mana early in the game so it's not even that big of a deal it's like kind of a free roll right either they they kill it and you're even on cards, and they don't kill it and Kind of run away with
1: the game. Yeah, so. definitely. It's also the weirdest thing about Esper Sentinel is that it's it's basically Thalia, except you have the choice to not pay the mana. And I always feel like it's way worse for me than Thalia. <laughs> like I'd it's, probably it's just because sp- it's cheaper. And sometimes because yeah, it comes easy. to play in turn one, like it's it's a pain. In the, it's more of a pain. It's a pain for like you know twice as long or whatever. I always cast. I'm like, oh, I can't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> I can't cast a spell. <laughs> But really, what I should do is just let them draw a card and kill it and just move on with my life. But I just never do. (laughs) I just always get punished.
2: No, it's definitely an interesting spot when to know when to let them draw the cards and not. I think in general, you want to not let them draw a card because they're typically, typically playing no other source of card advantage. So sure, you'll take a little damage, but you really don't want them to get closer to that collect kit company or maybe maybe let them make their land drops and be able to put Lurus in their hand, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, find the Cigar as or whatever, yeah.
2: But I've also had games where I was like, okay, I just have to play my spells. I let them draw like two or three cards of Sentinel and it didn't matter because it was when I was playing four Color Control, I just, at some point I cast Verdict and then I went omnav to Fairy or something and sure, okay, they drew a bunch of cards, but it wasn't that big of a deal. I, I, had,
1: it, yeah. I had it all. I've often found myself like, trying to set up these spots where I pay for it on the one turn and then just cast a whole bunch of spells. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a really, really interesting card, and it's like hard to, hard to play against, I find. But it's it's really funny, like, that idea that, like, it's Thalia, except you can cast the spell for cheaper, but it just feels way more punishing. It just, it's a really, like, it's dissonant with, like, it's like your, your heart and your head telling you to do completely different things. Yeah. And it really is just because it costs one mana and it comes into play so much earlier.
2: No, it's a, it's a cool design. All right. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about?
0: Oh no, that's good with me. I've got I'm to cool. get get to the library soon. <laughs> yeah, I've got to get home soon as well. So. Oh sweet. Okay. Well, I guess we should move on to life on the line. Yep. So for those new listening, don't know what life on the line is. It's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. You win, you live. You lose, you die. You've got to bring a deck list from every format we talked about today. Obviously, just modern. Um, I'll start things off because I think I'm I have the fastest response time to this question. Easy for color control. Um I will run back the same list that I played on Card Market's YouTube channel, which I think will be coming out in two weeks. A nice uh, gameplay video for you there. How about you, Pat?
1: Not really sure if I'm gonna keep playing Mug with the season pyromancer or if I'm gonna run groups of shadow. I th- I think Grixis Shadow is actually a a really really good deck and probably a better version of Blue Red Merktide, all things considered. So I'm going to play I'm going to play Grixis Shadow. Yeah, I'm going to go
2: with Grixis Shadow too, despite not having played the deck. I've been really impressed playing against it, and it seems like it has the results to back it up. It's also my kind of deck. You know, I've played a bit of Merktide, these blue decks, uh, aggro control, this myself. So Grixis Shadow it is
0: okay. And then obviously, we finish off every episode with The Price is Right using CardMarket's Markets website. I think this week, why don't we try Death Shadow? All right. All right.
1: Okay. A card that's been reprinted twice? Maybe it's, no, It's at least it's, been reprinted once. It's a rare two. Okay. Um,
2: All right. I've got, I've got a number. Uh, I got a number two.
0: Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Three two one six four euro oh damn me and gab went the same okay four versus six death shadow okay there's three copies which one do you guys want world wake modern masters 2017 or double masters
1: I feel like world wake maybe just the original printing has. okay the- world wake
0: no way i'm guessing there's not a huge difference no way the 30-day average is four euros 55 and the last seven days is exactly four euros so congratulations pat
1: wow nice what about the other sets that's your master Master right here
0: uh the other oh you're you're really digging for points are you no no i was just curious
2: (laughs) i I almost said five and i was like oh I, i undershot it every week so i'm gonna you know go up one euro
0: Okay, if you would like a Modern Masters 2017, the average price is €4.76. Okay, so yeah, there this. Just... And if you would like a Double Masters, its it average is €3.50. Okay,
2: even cheaper.
0: Yep. All right, congrats, Fats. Okay, I'll take easy. the wins where I can get them.
2: Should, should we start keeping track? little stats.
0: Oh, little no, point system. Please not.
1: Maybe a viewer can go back and recap. I don't want to have to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm Good
2: sure try. I have nothing better to do.
1: Yeah. Seriously, people have no nothing to
0: do with it. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Whoa. Damn. Okay. Based. Um. Well, let's finish off with Gab. Where can we find on the internet? Twitch.tv
2: slash Yellow Hat. On Twitter, at Gab Nasif, And I also have a YouTube channel, Yellow Hat.
0: Jeez. You can find me on the internet as HarryMTG anywhere, but specifically look at Card Markets YouTube channel. Over the next few weeks, obviously, I went to Berlin to record a load of stuff for them. And uh, they're a really generous sponsor, and I respect them a lot. So show them some support. What about you, Pat? Uh, you can
1: find me doing admissions interviews next week at the University of Oxford. So if you're coming to Oxford or who applied to to this college, you can you can you can see me then. Otherwise, I might actually be streaming a little bit over Christmas break. So I've got a, I've got a couple of weeks off. So Ooh. maybe maybe Twitch t- Twitch TV slash Get Smart.
2: Oh okay. uh, yeah! Okay. Hopefully you can you can find me winning the Instruct Championship this weekend and
1: oh yeah, secure, securing Ooh. my spot for
2: Worlds. Top six gets a World invite, so that's a pretty big deal. I don't love my chances. I think our decks are fine-ish, or my decks anyways are fine-ish, and had not I haven't played with them a ton, even though I've played both rounds a decent bit. So, but yeah, tune in this weekend, Twitch.tv/slash Magic. Historic part should be really sweet. Standard. Eh can still be exciting. I think it'll be a, a fun tournament to watch, though. There's a lot of people qualified, a lot of different testing teams. So many different decks that are potentially playable in Historic, so who knows?
1: All right, I'll be, swe- I'll be sweating it with you.
2: Yeah, people even in Standard have been experimenting. There was a, co- a cool mulch deck by Felix Slu that Top 8 Challenge. People have been playing variations on control, like Esper, Blue Black. Tapas qualified, he's been you know, trying to make kind of pure control work. So I'm, I'm excited.
0: Good to hear. Good to hear. I guess that wraps up the episode, though. And uh, for those listening, you made it this far into the episode. Thank you so much. And I guess we should also finish it with, please don't forget to give us a review on iTunes. Supports the podcast. And I guess for those watching on Gab's YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, catch you guys next week. Later. Take care, everyone.